As we go to the scripture this morning, it is a very, very familiar scripture. And, but I'm going to twist it a little bit this morning. You know, we talk about, uh, it's this scripture that describes the synagogue authority whose child he thought was dying or dead and asked Jesus to come and, and raise her from the dead. And in the midst of that story is this woman who'd been bleeding for so many years and came to just touch the hem of his garment and be healed. I just want to remind you, and you'll see this word as Karen reads this morning, that for that woman who was bleeding, she was an outcast, absolutely rejected by society, had to walk around with her left forefinger on her upper lip and yell, unclean. And the third word you're going to hear as Jesus turns to her is a word of adoption into his family. Don't miss that. But there's another message in the midst of this scripture too of of not being dead, but being awakened. And we're going to talk about that. So listen as Karen reads. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly, a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the, the, the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but I have found this Olympic Games to be very, very intriguing. And have seen some pretty phenomenal shifts in this game versus many of the others that I think many of us have watched. And even this morning after first service heard even more about this. I had no idea that we have some exceptionally strong connections to even the Sochi Olympic Games. Um, one person in first service was the designer of some of the, um, the ski poles for the Nordic events, and um, his son coached the single athlete out of Peru in the Nordic event. One athlete, who, by the way, took last place in the Nordic event. But here's the deal. Even during that Nordic event, something happened where the winner of the gold spent a half an hour and congratulated every single skier to cross the line, including the skier from Peru, who took last place. In the midst of that race, we saw one skier who broke a pole. And you can't do Nordic without poles. It's so difficult. And the coach of another team then replaced the pole for that skier to be that kind of support it was amazing to me to watch Sean White. And those that don't know, Sean White has been, for the last two Olympics, the top snowboarder, particularly in the halfpipe. 
and, and, and it just wasn't his year. I, I will never forget as Sean did one of his tricks and came down and landed on the upper lip of that half pipe and bent his snowboard at a 90 degree angle and didn't even get on the podium. And who was the first one at the bottom of that hill to come and console him for that run? But the guy who that they call iPod, because no one can pronounce his whole name. But iPod was there consoling him at the bottom of the run. iPod ended up winning gold in the half pipe on that day. And who was there to congratulate him first but Sean White? On These folks were not on the same team. I don't know what it has been in this Olympics, but over and over and over again in these games, I have seen a community that I just haven't seen. Now, there are two places where that hasn't happened as well. Somehow it's about hockey. <laughs> what is it about hockey? I watched, yeah, I know, the U.S. women's team against Canada. I'm glad I was nowhere near that rank because they were just punching everybody. Or the men versus the, the Russia yesterday and having the Russian coaches leave the ice before any congratulations would happen. What's so amazing in this Olympic Games, that's the exception. That's the exception. Over and over and over and over again. Didn't matter what country you were with. Didn't matter where you placed. There were words of consolation, words of support, or words of encouragement, or words of congratulations across geography. And in this Olympic Games, unlike any that I have ever seen, those games, those athletes, those coaches have become community with each other. Olympics are an amazing event, as you all know, because you have athletes that are just absolutely, totally, and completely focused on one event, seeking to live out their dream of being the absolute best at that event. And in those games, it can, it can change on a one one-hundredth of a second, or in the case of the skeleton, four one-hundredths of a second. And yet, there is community there. Consolation, encouragement, all manner of community. It is as though they have literally adopted each other into this family. And it is just stunning to see. The story that Karen read this morning is that kind of story. But what I want to talk about is all of us potentially being adopted into grace and love. But looking back at the story as, as he dealt with the bleeding woman, again, outcast, that third word out of his mouth, the third word that he said, to her was what? Daughter. Daughter. And we think it's some metaphor, something like that. It's not. It is his immediate protection of adoption into his family for this outcast woman. Immediate adoption to say she is a part of my family. We see it over and over in the Gospel of Matthew, but, but let's, let's, let's expand this family a little bit more and, and look back at this strange cadre of those who he had already adopted into his family. Who wants to adopt into their family someone who stinks like fish every day? 
And yet Jesus did. And by the way, you think deadliest catch? Oh, no, no, no. These guys were so filled with fishing and were constantly in and among the fish that that's what their skin smelled like every day. Now I want you to confine them into you know a small room sleeping together. How is that going for you? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. And there are four of them. Four of the twelve, by the way, were fishermen. Well, how about living with someone like Judas. Now, he was, he was the financial wizard for the group. But here is this control freak who wanted to make all the decisions about every way that that money was used and sought to do that every time. You begin to see the challenge, and we're not even done yet. James and John, see if this relates to anybody in your family. You know... They just thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they didn't even have sliced bread back then. <laughs> they were constantly, constantly arguing about, oh, I'm greater than you. No, you're, I'm greater than you. And I mean, it's like these two siblings arguing with each other constantly. And can you imagine Jesus in the middle of that as kind of the parent in that family going, would you just stop? Anybody in here relate to that? Or there was also... The guy who just doubted everything, who questioned everything. We've lived with that. Everything, everything was up for question. Thomas. And what about Peter? Peter, Peter was that lifelong adolescent who was bigger than most, more overt than most, and whose self-esteem was so low that he was constantly trying to please Anybody in this room relate to that? Anybody in your family that you can relate to that? Anybody. Or how about the one who was overtly aggressive all the time, all he wanted to do was hurt Romans? I don't know why, you know, the video games of today come to mind of the battling that happens all the time. But, but there was that guy, Simon the Zealot, Constantly wore a sword. Jesus couldn't stand that he wore a sword, but he would always have that knife or sword tucked into his cloak just in case a Roman came close enough for him to stab them. Talk about challenging. Or how about Bartholomew? Bartholomew was probably the oldest of the disciples, slowing down a bit in his old age. But on the other end of the spectrum is John who continually chides him about how old he is as he's slowing down. Or Hyper John. Hyper John, who just couldn't stop moving. This was a family. This was a family, very much like every family represented in this room. The problem is that it's all men. And we forget about the fact that women were involved. How do you think these disciples found out where they were needed to go? They wouldn't ask directions. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you think it's changed? It has not changed. But here are the women. And by the way, friends, what we fail to recognize is that the women are the ones who funded this ministry. The women were the financial support for everything that was happening. The women were the nurturers. The women were the ones who tried to keep it all together. And yet they are the unheralded heroes of the gospel stories. 
the women. But what's so interesting is I keep wondering, did Jesus just happen on this group? Or might he have been somewhat selective about the needs that he knew he was going to have in that ministry and work to and knew the potential of every one of these folks as he chose them to be in leadership? Wouldn't that change the story a little bit? Because out of that came the fact that 2,000 years later, we're sitting here in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning, hoping to find our way as these disciples. i got to tell you, some of the research, and, and again, I've talked about this at least once before, around what reduces risk in our children, more than anything else, you know what it is? is helping our children understand that they have a role in a family that makes a significant difference, not only in the life of that family, but a role that will also come and play out in the making of a significant difference in the life of another human being. There, I mean, the the research is stunning around this. Those children who feel like they make a difference, those children who have significant or specific roles, those children who understand that as they are given opportunities for involvement and taught the skills to mastery of of that involvement, and those children that are then able to practice those and are recognized, reinforced, and rewarded in those skills are at 10 times, and in one research, 25 times at less risk of being involved in antisocial behaviors later on in their lives. Let that sink in for just a second. That much less at risk. And so families who can help them with that, communities that can surround them, churches that engage that way, wow, they're protecting those children, but they're also encouraging involvement. Do you know that we had two kids here yesterday that gave up an hour and a half of their Saturday to begin to learn the soundboard so that they can help serve the church? It's amazing. We are in a time now, and last Tuesday night was the first core leadership team meeting for this new year, and not only did we adopt the budget and, and, and work through all of that, but, but one of the things that was so intriguing was being able to kind of sit back and watch this unfold as they became an exceptionally forward-thinking group of saying and asking the important questions of how do we open up involvement and allow folks in this congregation to dream dreams again and I don't mean small dreams, but sometimes big dreams. And that they see their role as empowerment, not permission granting. They see their role as encouragement, not putting on the brakes. They see their role as opening up opportunities for anyone in the congregation who has a dream or a call to live out that dream or call. That's how they see their role as they support the ministries and serve you and Christ in the midst of this church. I am aware that we have seen that before in the church and that that ventured away for a little while and now we're going to bring it back. I will now tell you that between services it was amazing to see what happened. We're going to have a yoga class in church on Saturdays at around 11.30 and Vince Fratella is going to be leading that. There are going to be support groups of encouragement for families who may be dealing with kids with differing challenges. 
whether it's drug abuse or autism or anything else, that we begin to provide those things. That's not coming from me. That's coming from you. And there are items, I mean, just the dreams that began to percolate even after church between services this morning, that all it takes is permission to dream. And I want to give you permission to dream again. Truly dream. But here's the deal. That it it isn't until we figure out and, and understand that we have a role here and aren't just given permission, but encouraged to find out what that role is, that it, the, the percolation of those dreams isn't going to go anywhere until we have that realization. I mean, something as simple, Nancy, as a dream to have accessibility for our children for books. And that was a dream that you had. And, and now, guess what out here? We have immediate accessibility, and Eli, <laughs> Eli and Ben Stunkel feel absolutely invested in that because they chose the books. We teach our children that they too can dream and be a part of this. It's not just us who are adults. We dream dreams. We have hopes. And now we have an environment where we can begin to move again toward fulfilling those. It's an exciting time. I want to say again, and let me just close with this thought. I am absolutely convinced absolutely convinced that every single person in this sanctuary right now, every single person, no matter the age, every single person in first service, every single person who wasn't able to make it into church today, every single person has a call to ministry. Every single person has a call to ministry. My hope is that we can have some fun exploring with each other what those calls may be and then become that empowering, equipping, supportive, encourage, I mean, just positive group that can help people find those. Whether it's a one event thing, I have this dream of doing this one thing. Well, how can we help you? Or whether it's something that's going to take years. Daryl and the Outreach Committee asked that we now again support and adopt Habitat for Humanity again this year. And I have this dream that what we do in the midst of that is maybe what we do is continue to work with Mary Martin and some of the others at Habitat to build utility sheds or something on this site and then deliver them there so all of our children can be involved in Habitat, at least even from a distance. You have to be 16 in order to build. But what if we thought in a wider way, even about that. I told you about yoga this morning. That came out of this morning. And there are others. There are other things. I will tell you, too, that the staff has begun to shift a little bit in our roles and responsibilities, trying to move toward areas of greater strength in every one of the staff right now at the church. And it's amazing to see how eyes light up or souls light up when the realizations happen that maybe this is more of my gift than this. And beginning to redevelop some of those relationships around that. There are dreams here, yet unfulfilled. And let's recreate that again of dreaming dreams 
and, friends, becoming those Olympic athletes that take them on to the nth degree, to the best of our ability, so that others might be transformed. We can be that team of support. We don't all have to be coming from the same place to build that broad spectrum of hope and encouragement and answering those calls to ministry. What we need are amazing coaches of encouragement in in, in incredibly positive ways. I give you permission to dream. I give us permission to dream. Let's give each other permission to dream at an Olympic kind of level and see where this goes. Finally, on May 2nd and 3rd, we have a colleague coming in. And John has his doctorate in ministry around spiritual gifts. And John's going to help us. And one of the things that Shannon and I are looking at right now is a program called Discovering God's Vision for Your Life. It was designed and developed by the same person who began Stephen Ministries. And we're going to engage this together as a, as a church. And no, you don't have to be involved. I hope you're going to be involved. But think of what we could be if we all have calls and recognize that. And many of them are listed here, but not all. Let's dream. Let's. Let's dream dreams and find our roles in the midst of it. Will you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you have placed on each of us and within each of us not just spiritual gifts, but interests and experiences and dreams and hopes and, and, and the sight to be able to see what are the needs that may be out there. God, help us remove obstacles. Help us realize it's not about permission as much as it is about encouragement. God, help us to dream those dreams. And more than dreaming, help us be unafraid to support and encourage the dreams of those that you have chosen to be here in this time. What if we realized that every one of us has been chosen for such a time as this in the life of Aldersgate United Methodist Church. And let's dream and fulfill and move forward with that in mind. All this in Christ's name. Amen.